welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. I'm Dave. I'm Chris. And today is a very, very interesting and exciting day in the world of Dopey because we have our first celebrity guest. Welcome, Danny Boy. Dan- uh, outstanding applause. Yeah, let's do, let's do a little bit better. We can do better. Good. Big DS. There you go. There you go. We also have Big DS straight out of Brooklyn. What's up? What's up? Hey, can we curse on this thing? Totally. Uh, Please good. fucking curse. And and Danny boy, if uh, you know him, he was a, a original member of uh, House of Pain out of Brook uh, Boston. Yeah. Excuse All me. of that is wrong, but uh, <laughs> here, let me straight. Oh, you thought I was that Danny boy? Yeah. No, I didn't even know. Which Danny Boy are you? Yeah, I'm the yeah, I'm the R and B singer Danny Boy. Oh yeah, let me hear a little bit. That's it. Um yeah, no, I'm the founding member of House of Pain for what that's worth. Uh and we're not from Boston, so, so the, Why do I think you're from Boston? Because the Celtics jersey is what probably Where are you from? We're from originally from New York, but we we Shut formed in we formed in Los Angeles. Yeah, of course. There you go. So we formed you know. in Los Angeles, but the Celtics jersey was like a homage to Larry Bird and you know, white people, that everywhere. hardcore white boy, you know, that don't take no shit off of nobody. You know, Chris is from Boston. Yeah, Boston boy. Maybe that's I'm why I confused. I feel yeah. like, but you know, whenever I get Fenway to Park, the world's largest gay bar. There you go. <laughs> good times. Good times. Uh, you know, are you a Red Sox fan? Living By in default, the city? I don't course. like baseball. But you couldn't pay me to sit through a baseball game. I See, go crazy. I'm the opposite. I, I like baseball because it's a pastime and it. it I'm not focused on it. I can do multitask and still keep it on, so it's a good thing. You're a basketball guy, then, I guess. More basketball, more football, mostly football. football? But my, my pops was like... You're yeah. a football fan? Yeah, mostly just because of fantasy, dude. I get super into it from fantasy, and then that's it. So, which makes you just like, you're a fan of your team. You know what? Um, but can't. yeah, my dad, my dad would be like, dude, he's like, oh, we got great seats, you know, like right behind the dugout. And uh, I'm like, you could... You could Get seats on the fucking mound, and I wouldn't want to go. Really? I just got really bad ADD. I can't sit still that long. See, I, I'm going to qualify this. I'm a, I'm a, like a diehard Yankees fan, but I, I think Fenway Park is probably the the most prestigious. If, if so, I've said it a million times, but to your listeners, they've never heard this. Uh, if if someone came from another planet and said, "What's baseball?" I would start at Fenway Park because the aura and the if it was it feels old, traditional. if the old Yankee Stadium was there, I would probably just because of you know. Loyalty, I would take them there first. But since that came down, and and when you want to, when you think of baseball, when I think of baseball, and I think of like the the best example of it, it's Fenway Park. There's nothing yeah. like that green monster and the way that well, that field is laid out and the old historic vibe in there. It just feels like baseball. The 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 ghost of baseball lives there. I have to there. say, it's a beautiful park. It's I beautiful went to place. Fenway when I was a kid. The, it feels old and wooden but the hot dogs are really good the Fenway Frank it's like I, I, I work in a hot dog mecca and yet the Fenway Frank I think is a fucking well, that's a bonus thing man. fine hot dog well dude the, the Boston guys are going to love what you just said um, I grew up right around the corner from Fenway I grew up in Back Bay it's Kenmore Square and yep, then yep, I was in Back I know, Bay I know well and uh, my dad used to give me tickets when I was a little kid, yeah. and I would go scalp them and buy drugs. <laughs> so well, hey, in the go. course of about six Pri- years, you got to prioritize. I get it. There was, a, <laughs> there was a couple of decades where I didn't, you know, I would have done the same thing. It didn't matter. People, yeah. you remember when the the, the 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 play? I go, bro. I didn't get to see Mr. Baseball, Donnie Baseball play because I was in the club swinging off the chandelier, drinking, fighting, fucking. I didn't. I could care less about baseball. So there's a Yankees era that's like a classic era that I missed out on, but I didn't really miss out on it because I would have missed out on 
all the hijinks and yeah. the extra you, we, all, we all did our so thing. they trade it's a trade-off but you know i am a fan and, and shout out to you know there's a guy in my group from boston a kid named uh, george carroll goes by the name of slain he was in gone baby gone and the oh, town it's also a prolific rapper a tremendous human being and uh bostonian is also yeah does he have the affliction yeah he's and got he, the affliction you know uh yeah How's yeah he doing? and he's in recovery yeah nice. so it's good so, How many people do you think think House of Pain is from Boston? A lot, and I don't. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's just. Another, I feel like, like such a jerk. No, you listen. If you were the first guy to say that, I, you know, I would. It, it, it's just because of the video, because of the jersey. You know what I mean? So that's what people thought from Boston. But people listen when when the advent of like MySpace and Facebook came up. But you don't think I got a twenty million? Like, what are you doing rocking a Yankees hat, dude? I thought you were from Boston, right? from Brooklyn <laughs> we met all of us met in Los Angeles we're LA like guys you know how did it get that, together in the first place me and Eric kind of went to high school together he, we, we ran in the same we, we grew up in the same area of the San Fernando Valley so even though we might have went to different high schools he went to Taft for a while for like summer school I went to Canoga his high school for half a semester but in hip hop there was like five white guys in the whole this 10 20 30 mile vicinity that would were into it in the first place, early hip hop, and would go to like events, black clubs, clubs were only, you know, we were the only white boys. So I would see him and I knew him. And when he first made his first demo, he played it to me at a graffiti yard. It was a place where, you know, it was only a few yards in that, in that whole part. And there was one, I met him there one day and he played it for him. I thought I was, thought he was lying. I thought he was playing me a rock him, like unreleased material because his early stuff, he was spitting at like, I'm not going to say rock him level, but it sounded like, like B-side rock him stuff that I had never heard before his syndication record came out with Ice-T and he just got signed to make that record with Ice-T but I heard it I, it might even have been syndication but it was like he was spitting and I was like oh that's great I'm thinking why is this dude playing me somebody else's stuff and then you found out passing it, it off at his stuff so I was a fan of his stuff early on um, unfortunately you know at that era I mean think about it you're in high school and you get signed and you're like a white rap guy like they had grand plans for him. So he had one song that sounded like a, a club remix, one that sounded like this, one that sounded, you know, cut all figured, your bases, yeah, see, throw it out yeah. there, see which one would, right. which would, and so it just, it just fizzled out, I guess, you know, and this is just my perspective on what happened. He might tell you completely different, but that's what I seen. And then when we reconnected, it was like, you know, I was like, dude, listen, you know, like we started hanging out. I had a little like street gang of people. So I was like a little cult leader of the like, you know, neighborhood kids all most of them were Irish kids we were all like you know putting our hands on everybody and running around and running amok so people knew who I was long before House of Pain in that area right. love me or hate me you knew who I was you know what I mean and so when I started running to Eric again I was like yo bro like let's do this shit but let's do it this way you know what I mean and let's make you know this shit and you know do what we do you know what I mean and stop being Stop, being, Stop trying to be patronizing. And I don't say those terms. I'm looking back as a 48-year-old at this 47 fucking change. You're old. I'm putting those, those. But the point was, I was like, yo, bro. Like, he was starting it out with us. We were all in this club thing, gang, little thing. And he just started spitting about what we were doing, you know. And it was more brolic white boy stuff. Like, in the sense of, we would go to the hip-hop spot, but we wasn't taking no shit off of nobody either. I was friends with everybody in the spot. But I wasn't like, some dudes would come in like me. and What's up, bro? I get smacked around. It wasn't like you can put your well, hands on I mean, Southern California is super racially charged. And I'd imagine if you're going to hang out with the brothers down in places well, like well, that, I don't that know could be an it was issue. racially charged. It was, 
we had busing just like Boston had busing, and so we all my high schools like Ice Cube went to my my uh, you know high school. Uh, these dudes called the Throwdown Twins, which were related to Belle Biv DeVoe. Right, right. They had a group. Uh, Brett Mazer from Crazy Town. He was also made Search's first solo record. That here it comes. That was his beat. Okay. Uh, Wolf and Epic was the production crew, and they did. Uh, uh, Poison and all those remixes. Wolf well, and yeah, Epic Ring, and he's right. in Crazy Town. He's the one of the he, Brett Mazur is his name. What? Was it Blood of Abraham? He was in Blood of Abraham as well, which was Easy E's white group. You know, everybody had a white group. You know that they were, they were, they were going. Yeah, I've heard of that Blood of Abraham. Come on, it's your, it's your people, bro. Listen, the duck two points. <laughs> the duck five. The duck all the five off that. So, uh, but so basically, but if and we're talking about Everlast here. We're talking about Everlast as far as... Pre-House pre of Pain, Everlast. If any yeah. of those weird ventures had hit, House of Pain wouldn't, wouldn't have hit. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened. So, so it was like... Uh, again, I, I saw that he was a, a, a great... You know, he was a kid, he was a people. He was a, you know, one of the few. I respected him and he respected me. But I had something he didn't. I had the branding and the fucking... The, the plan. The style. And that I felt like he had the music. And we were, we were like your cookies. We were... Uh, you know, it, it looked funny. It was like, you know, two different things put on. But that know, was the era. Yin and yang, you but know? that era was a rough, you know, yeah, a rough and like not perfect and like as fucked up as it could be ragged made it totally legitimate and fun. Yeah, That's like course. a fan who got to hear it. All that stuff, Beastie Boys, Cypress Hill, House of Pain, uh, it was uh, fun. Because it felt like yeah, it was, it was like authentic real. as well. It was real. And here's the thing. It's and a, it wasn't over That's the what top, I was though. always looking for. Like, as a as a dude who was, like, a, a huge fan of, of black culture, yeah. there's a fine line between being a quote-unquote wigger. And believe me, I'm the guy you I brought you brought me over. If, if I knew you in high school, man, we'd be hanging out doing what we're doing right now. And then your mother would come home and say, man, can I talk to you in the kitchen, please? And then I knew to grab my shit and go because that was the time where she's going to say, man, I don't like that guy. Who's no, my mother is very tolerant of wiggers. Uh, okay, I have to say. Well, I'm saying. <laughs> she would have said, who's that guy with May his rest ears? Peace. Okay, rest in peace. But with that guy with his, both of his ears pierced and gold teeth in and a Kangol hat, whatever the fuck Justin I was David, wearing. keep her away from your sister. That's it too. You know? <laughs> a Puerto so, Rican boyfriend is enough. Exactly. Yeah. But the point is, it's like, so... I, I already knew, like, you know what, dude? If we're going to do what we're doing, we do it, like, the way we do. We don't even have to fucking kowtow or fucking patronize or be anything other than ourselves. And that's what I think was missing from other white hip-hop at the time. I wasn't a fan of fucking third base. I felt they were patronizing. I thought by adding, uh, going after MC Hammer at the time. That was having cheap. Run DNC in the in the, as your, as your, like, token black dudes to like certify your shit and I know that that you know Search was running the, the Latin Quarter and Pete was doing whatever not saying that they're not official but I didn't buy into that what was because this I was a Beastie fan and Beastie's predates all that shit so but even Beastie's it was a time early on where I was like I don't know if I love them or hate them because it's are they comedy act is it a fucking jerky boy or the is it Beastie like a, boys, the Beastie Boys were so great because they didn't I'm give a, a fuck. I'm a huge fan. They didn't need to posture. A, uh, right. So I was a fan of theirs. So when Third Base came and they were like Russell's Revenge, I wasn't a fan of that. And so now I have the Beastie Boys as the, the gold standard, right? But that beat of Gas Face is so good. I'm not saying it isn't, but it's like when people try to tell me how great Eminem is. I get that he's great. It just doesn't speak the language of the heart. So I can listen to him thinking, blah, 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 and I hear all that shit. And to me, it's just fucking white noise. I can see logically that he can spit at a level that probably is unseen. 
But if it don't, if I can't fucking bob my head to it, and it's I ain't feeling me, though. you didn't like the Some first the uh, my name is whatever feeling. Some people like penthouse. Some people like fucking. <laughs> what do you like? Jugs. I'm back. You fucking. What are you into? In hip hop, yeah, jugs probably. Okay. Stupid shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Though uh-huh. I can't look at a Playboy and get off. To me, when I hear like certain people's rhymes, it don't get me off. I didn't get off on third base of shit. God, God love uh, Serge. He's a fucking. What about Nas? He's a great dude. Believe it or not, I, I, you weren't into it. Not into it. Nomadic. Illmatic came out, bro. I was already off in the fucking like I was listening to Tool and fucking dark. Yeah. Not even dark, just just heavy. It, it was like Pantera and Tool and all that California's a Pearl Jam. Uh, so your white boy was well, really happened, but dude, when it I lived was. in California, all the rap I listened to it went away. You know what I mean? And that's because I was doing time, and it, that's why I was asking that racially charged thing. It was it turned well, into in like that's not what we listened okay, to. Yeah, you know? Hold on a second. Now you're, you're talking different between prison. California prison is it's always been that way. Unlike probably New York prisons or other prisons. That, yeah. There's no sharing. There's no anything. No, I know. I've yeah, been. I've yeah. been. I've never been in prison, but I've yeah. been in jail, and I have no prison culture like, you know, any other motherfucker. And the point is, is that that's different, you know, and that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I, I, I felt like if we're going to do this thing any justice, let's just do us and yep. not be a, make any excuses or apologies for why we do what we do. And let's just, just do what we do and let it fall where it may. And Eric was on the same page. Like, you know, he'd already did the... You know, his deal with Warner Brothers and the looks were different. And one day he's, you know, doing this and one day he's doing that. And I just felt like if we did our thing, it would just, it would, it would either, it, it would seek its own level. But that's my take on it. it could, you could talk to Eric uh, and he might take something completely different, but my spin is that. And How I much time that by saying that, you know? between this pitch to him and um, success? No, I mean, it wasn't a pitch. It was that we started hanging out and we started talking about doing it. We, he, he made a few demos with a few different producers, Quincy Jones' son, QD3. We made a few with this guy, uh, Danny, uh, shit, I should remember his last name. It'll come to me. Um, Danny Saber, who did a, he was like doing a lot of big rock albums at the time. And we just couldn't find our, our sound. And then him and Muggs reconnected because they were both signed to Ice-T originally. 7A3 was Muggs was the DJ in the group 7A3 and Everlast was solo and Muggs had just did Cypress Hill and Eric seen Cypress and was like yo that's the next level of you know what this where this is going and then we we got uh, Eric got him to produce the first three jump, uh, jump around come and get some of this and put your head out but be real on it and then it was off to the races so it was about a year in total but once they made that demo it was like Three months later, we were fucking rap stars. So. Fucking all, all hyperbole aside and whatever, you fucking put on Jump Around. Forget about that. <laughs> it's in every basketball game. It's probably made you billions of dollars. Somebody billions of <laughs> well, dollars. Well, there's a Beverly Hills. So I, every, yeah, I live in a little apartment, and I don't pay half of what you pay here in New York. All right, let's, 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 everybody, let's just relax for a second. I just need to say this, and then Dopey is not a fucking podcast about hip-hop in prison. It's a podcast about drugs and dumb shit. So let's we'll come back to it, but I have to say you put on that bam, 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 and that beat comes on. You play for anybody in any moment. It's timeless. It's, it's, it's fucking in timeless. Any place. It's but it's it's so good. Yeah. You know it's and, and it's so musical and everybody black white fucking. Oh, it's an anthem. It's an anthem, yeah. and fucking. Uh, 
What an exciting thing. I'd rather hear Shamrock's and Shenanigans, personally. Especially the Butch Vig. Yeah, I like that, too. Ooh, that's my song. Rock, like, it's oh, song. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I don't like the Butch Vig better, though. I like the original Vig better. But anyway, yeah, so... But so that's that a, about music. So that, no, 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 no. Hey, when did the affliction kick in? No, no, no. I want to hear about fucking Jump Around oh, first. Okay, it's so right, exciting. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, what do you want to know? That hasn't been said a million times. Well, I, I, the song came out overnight. It was a fucking... A smash hit. We went out... We, we booked the tour with the Beastie Boys straight away. Six shows in, we got kicked off. I bought Why'd my you get kicked off the thing? Uh, Eric put his hands on their road manager. We were just, we were expecting license to Ill Part 2. 20. 20. We, we expected license to Ill Part 2, and what we got was like, check your head, namaste, fucking Dalai Lama vibe. And it was just not what we wanted at the time, and not what they wanted. It wasn't a good mix once we were working. Which tour had they gotten kicked off with? I don't know, but it's a badge of honor now. At the time, I was mortified. I was I was gutted. It was my favorite group in hip hop. It's you know, group. You know, I'm a, again a Rock Kim fan and I love mil- a million other things. But the Beastie Boys are the Beastie Boys, and I'm a, you know, still a huge fan. But yeah, I was mortified that we got kicked off. I thought it was all over. But when I was a kid, the only thing I wanted to be was one of the Beastie Boys. Yeah, I tell him you're the fourth member. You could have been. And, and, I know. Bringing Ricky, well, you've been the fifth with Ricky Powell. But anywho, so you know, so the the music popped off and it made me overnight it changed all the you know the, hey man you better stay in school and keep your act together and stay out of trouble it made all that null and void because now when you get you know that kind of money and that kind of success you think uh, they don't know who do, do they not know the fuck I think I am you know and so I I ran off of that but what it was it was a 17 15 13 year old boy who had a little bit of money and a little bit of fame and when it all started to disappear around when I was about, you know, 27, you know, six years, seven years later, it all started to come apart at the fucking seams. And there I am as a, the, the mentality of a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old, the skills of a 16 year old, you know what I mean? Sure. And now I'm, I, they, they're towing the Ferrari away and the house payment that I can't afford and the grass is to my knees and the pool is green. And I started thinking while well, drinking ain't going to, you know, fix what I'm going through right now and the pain was so great the shame the embarrassment how could how could you mess that up and then the group breaks up and oh, Everlast yeah. goes on to get Grammys and hit songs and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lethal goes to Limp Bizkit and sells oodles amount of records yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're all they, they hit a next plateau and I felt like guy coming out of House of Pain I'd be the next like most likely to succeed you know and I'm, and I'm sitting up in the fetal position in a house that's waiting for the marshals to throw me out of no way to get around, no transportation, no, you know, sleeping on patio furniture in my own house. What was the thing that had you by the balls worst of all? Drugs? Yeah, sure. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I'd always had, a, I'd always drank, and I grew up in a family of alcoholics, uh, stepfather in particular, and my father in particular. But I, my father was, he went to prison when I was two months old, so I met him twice. He came out, and then we didn't see him, and then when I was 17, he was murdered. But he was homeless by the time he drank so hard. He was homeless. Someone fucking lit him on fire. That's how homeless he was, and that's how pathetic it was. And my stepfather was in and out of jail all the time, ex-heroin addict and a, and a fluid alcoholic. So my mother would tell me when she when he'd walk me to school in the morning, let me know if he's drinking milk. Milk, okay. Then we'd get out the house, the apartment, with the Staten Island at the time. He'd say, oh, I'll tell your mother I'm drinking milk. He'd go in the store, bring out a quart of milk and a fifth of whatever, and he would mix them. And for he would it for his stomach. <laughs> he would drink one, throw it up. Drink another, throw it up. And by the third or fourth he time, hold it down. he could hold it down. And as soon as I got home from school, my mom was like, come here. Did you drink milk? Tell me. I'm like, uh. <laughs> Did you give him up? No, because he was like, you know, give me a nickel or a fucking, <laughs> fucking, you know, he was a scary guy. 
So you knew the deal, so man. You knew the deal. The deal. You yeah. know, he died of cirrhosis at 35. And when you think about it, man, you know what? It, it seems old as fuck when you're six years old, 35. You know, when you're 35, you seem young as fuck. So I knew what alcoholism looked like. I knew what, like, that kind of, like, environment looks like for a kid growing up, latchkey kid, people fighting, mother doesn't want children and shit. So House of Pain cured all that shit for me because it was, like, all the accolades, the money, the... It was you like know, they finally because, know who I am. Well, I you know, fulfillment, dude. That's like self-actualization. I, yeah, dude. That's a you, medicine. And I'm going to tell you yeah. this. It wasn't even to finally know who I am. I already thought I was a piece of shit. I didn't, it wasn't that. It was more like, you know, that's an easy way I explain it, but the truth be told, it was just the big warm hug that I always needed. You know, like I didn't feel that like I had to suck my stomach in when I was fucking sitting down because I'm daddy working miles of pain. It's a package deal now. I'm believing now that I'm good as, as I am. I'm enough I've always bought The big lie That as I am In just me On me I'm not enough So I've been Filling that With something At all At every turn Yeah I'm not smart enough I'm not fucking Good looking enough I'm not thin enough I don't have the right clothes I don't fucking Speak the right language I don't have the right bicycle I don't know the right Fucking I just And so you find ways To fucking Get over those things And my first drink, I remember like it was yesterday, bro. Because I had tried drinking a few different times. We found a friend's mother's amaretto. And we drank it. We threw up in the bushes. It was disgusting. I smell almonds now. I still drink. Right. It's like <laughs> forty years. Um, I had a few beers, and I was just like, disgusting. It does nothing to me, you know. And then one night in the parking lot of this club, we drank screwdrivers. And somebody bought a one bottle of vodka and one bottle of orange juice. We were just mixing them up. It seems like orange juice with a little bite. That was it. my that was my downfall. Screwdrivers. Yeah, yeah, and I walked in the club that night, and when it kicked in, that was the first time ever I had felt that way. And I, knowing now as a forty-seven-year-old in recovery, I have the right label for it. But I didn't know then what happened. But today I know what happened. I'll describe it as. It was the first time in life that my perception shifted and my the way I looked at the world had changed that, that minute that alcohol kicked in like that. And even better, it changed the way I felt the world was looking at me. So prior to that drink and prior to that buzz, if you were whispering to me, I thought, who is he talking shit about me? This motherfucker saying something about me? When that when I'm drunk and you're whispering to man, I'm like, he's telling man I'm cool <laughs> Danny boys. Hey man, yep. Danny boy's the coolest motherfucker to have. Danny boys from Mickey Mouse Club, the fucking little gang. He's a tough guy. He liked it. So it changed that. And fundamentally, I don't think normal people have a drink and that changes for them. No, They no. get a little buzz and like, woo, how did you put that down? Right. That's I get a drink and it opens the key to the universe and it lets me think anything is possible in this moment. Talk about staying in the now and in the moment and that the glass is fucking always half full. It's when I'm starting to get my buzz on. And yep. I go, whoo, I don't care. The weather's great. I'm getting laid tonight. Five dollars in my pocket. I don't care. I'm gonna get there. I mean this nothing is a care. For me it was it was drugs. It was uh hard drugs and I take them and I could feel like I don't have to be afraid of anything. Like it what it was like really like any kind of, like cause I you know, I grew up a big nerd pussy in Manhattan in a very nerd pussy school, so I was never dominated. I kind of strolled around and had a good life and nobody fucked with me because I was safe. But in the outside of my little nerd world, I was very much, you know, not like I didn't mix it up. But once I could get drugs in me, I felt free to say whatever I wanted. I could be who I wanted to be. It was a whole bullshit thing because 
I think before all that, I could. I, I could actually do that. It was just a fucking mind fuck in my head. You know what I'm saying? Totally. That's what my first experience, and I've said this before on the show, it's, it was the solution to a problem that I didn't even know existed. I well, got drunk and just have. clicked. I don't know. I, I think I did. I mean, they just labeled it as ADHD, loner, you know what I mean, hyper. And then I drank, and it was like, I think it was like untreated alcoholism. I mean, I was super into like bombs and all this other weird shit that was basically my alcoholism coming out in a different way. And then I put something in my body, and I just... It fucking clicked. And I remember, you know what I mean, like starting real early, like 13, 14, and trying to explain to people why, like, I could just be so much more successful if I had three or four beers in me at all times, just some sort of maintenance level drinking, always. I really believed I'll it. I think you want better. I mean, you know, growing up in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, bro, by the time I seen Strange Brew, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie. It's a, it's a hockey movie with Bob and Doug McKenzie with this. Look at the movie. It's Strange a, Brew, Strange hockey Brew. movie from the late seventies. It's from the eighties, actually, and it's 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 Bob and Doug McKenzie, and it's it's basically Rick, Bob and Doug McKenzie. I'm going to tell you, it's Rick Moranis <laughs> and Dave Thomas. Okay, and they have a talk show. It's a fake talk show. And it's called Live from the Great White North. They were on SCTV back in the day. It's a comedy thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dating uh-huh. And no, it's all I around it's beer. Second City, and then so there's. I, I'm looking at that, and then the Beastie Boys thing was all about beer, you know what I mean? And hip-hop was all about 40s. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So by the time I got to high school, I started off, that club I'm telling you about wasn't a hip-hop club. It was a new wave club. So motherfuckers were drinking, and 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 there was no weed. It, wasn't, it was unpopular. It was hippie shit, okay? People who were going to new wave clubs were either doing fucking hard drugs that I didn't know about because I avoided that. But for the most part, we were drinking, like, vodka, it was like less than zero shit. I just didn't get involved in the coke shit. Right, right, right. So, but it was like highball shit. And then when the hip hop shit came in, that's when like drinking Budweisers and acting a fool, and it was literally amped up by like license to ill. Well, it was forty 86. after forty after forty yeah, after forty, and that adds up. A lot of forties, you get a pretty fucking high number. And so, and so you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the fucking uh, you get the ice cream cone. You know, uh, the itis. Uh, the itis. Uh, but, uh, you know, so yeah, I liked everything that went with the drinking culture, though, man. You know, it, it made me fight better. You know, in my mind, I was more confident. I could talk to girls. You know, it just loosened me up because I was just high strung and fucking very insecure because I felt unwanted at home. So, all right, wait. So, that's, to, that, you know. So, wait, the, the band, to so the band, let's get back to the, the band started disper- dispersed. You were in your apartment. You don't want to get to the drinking. eyes of touring the world with Cypress Hill? and, and That's the, where you want to go. I want to hear some depravity. Well, I think the, there'll be <laughs> depravity on the tour, though. There's no depravity you know, on the you tour. Know, the funny thing is, bro, in the tour, it was like the good life, man. It was like, again, like, I, I cut my drinking down. So House of Pain's tops. Like, I went through all this bullshit prior to House of Pain. Like, I was in a little gang. I got arrested for, like... Uh, at 17 for attempted murder I got I started picking up cases and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life I was unemployable because I was scared to go apply for anything I didn't feel like I could do anything and the fucking catcher just was like fuck how the fuck does this work you know I just didn't feel someone says hello and you're like yeah I'm shy and so you know and so House of Pain cured all that for me and so when I started going on the road don't get me wrong we were drinking and fighting still in the sense of like we were the wild out type of kids but as it progressed and as I got more successful and more successful and more successful, it felt like, fuck, I don't need a drink anymore because I... You have success, all those things, right? giving you what is, you wanted in the drinking. the whole yeah, yeah. The drinking. So there was even a period of time, I, I think in like 93 or 94, where 
I was dry for like a year. I, I just let it. I put the beer down. I couldn't believe I did it. I met another guy who was a biker, and just come out the joint, and he was like, "I don't drink, brother." And I was like, "Fuck!" And he don't drink, and we used to just go shoot pool at clubs. We go to club nightclubs or fucking bars or whatever. We shoot pool and I hang out. And because he was riding all the time, he didn't want to get chalked up. Yeah. And I just kind of we rubbed off on each other. And this guy used to bring him out on the road with me. He's called Big Rod Diablo. You know, we ended up being in a bike club later down the line. I was in an outlaw bike club few years later with him he was one of the you know what happened that guy club. I don't know it's a great question man yeah. I, I, the ATF raided that club and our chapter in particular and then he just disappeared so I don't know what the fuck I've heard good things and bad things I don't know so, <laughs> what'd they find on the raid uh, I don't know I, would, I didn't get indicted but the I had left the club. What was the know? club? What was it? I don't want to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You're so you suckers. You asking an outlaw bike club member his name? I know dudes that are not in the club anymore. Will tell you anywhere you want to. You know, I just it, it, it don't matter. You know, I'll, I'll tell you. Can we mask your voice like they do? What's that show? It's crazy. The place I was telling you before in the impact, man. They're hell Mongols there. And they didn't want the Vagos to come to the meetings there, which is not what AA is about. All right. Yeah, and I, you know, I've been in meetings where someone will introduce me, and then I like, I have a name that there's another guy that used to be in the club, or still in the club, or was acting. We went out bad, yeah. and so I've been like jammed up over the phone. While I'm like, dude, you got the wrong one, motherfucker. I ain't the one. <laughs> Someone saying you're running around with your patch still love. Like, what? Fuck out of here. I've been out of the twenty years. I ain't even, Fucking ride a BMW, bro. Adventure, yeah. <laughs> you know, like no, it ain't. I ain't the one. Like, so you know, it's 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 one of those things. The point, what I'm trying to say is, during the House of Pain era, bro. Of course, I had a healthy drinking career compared to like a normal drinker, but I wasn't excessive because, to, for the most part, and I didn't fuck with drugs because I didn't need to. Mm. But as things started to unravel, then I started to fucking not have any answers, and drinking was clearly a high school answer for a fucking grown ass problem. Right, and so I got introduced to coke. Coke was the devil in hip hop, bro. If you were cokehead, you were crackhead. Like you were, that was like you couldn't be anything worse besides being gay, a drug addict, or a snitch in hip hop. Right, and that ain't my thing. I'm just. Are you aware of any gay drug addict snitches who had all three working for them? (laughs) No, but I, 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 I can, I can take. Educated guesses on some gay rappers and some definitely drug addict rappers. But you don't want to put that out there right now. No, because <laughs> I, I'm one of those dudes. You know, like if you can't prove it, you know, yeah. like. I'll tell wait, you so if you were fucking around powder, even that was left around, down. Yeah. So I, I had the, there was a time where I was good friends with like Tommy Lee from Mountain Crew, and I, I knew a lot of rock dudes. I knew a lot of like me and Mickey Work were tied. Me and. Mm-hmm. Tommy Lee would tie me. I ended up I, probably offending more people like that because thought I, I thought who the fuck I was running around with like opposite. I, the last thing I did was hang out with rappers. I'm a hype man anyway. I'm a design guy. I'm a, you know, I was more interested in them and they were more interested in me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't interested in smoking blunts with name your favorite rapper. I just wasn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just wasn't, you know? Maybe go to a bar with Cool Keith once in a blue moon. Like, that's cool. You know what I mean? I He's a nut. About, that's why it's cool I interviewed him <laughs> when I was a kid he was great oddballs and the outcasts and right, right. so and in those circles uh, in particular you know like the rock circles coke is like fucking party favorites sure. it's not a it's not a fucking uh, it's not frowned upon it's no, actually it's what endorsed. they do yeah. yeah so I would have parties after my house we would go to, after the club we'd go to the strip bar and after the strip bar we would come back to my house and then I, strippers were coming back and rock dudes were coming back and a lot of these alternative groups again 
you know, um, we were talking on the way here, and none of these were partying with me, but I'm saying, like, Wage Against the Machine, uh, we took them on their first tour, Corn, we took them on their first tour, we took a lot of these rock alternative acts, and not those in particular, but other in that circle, they were L.A. bands, they would come over, and they, they had no problem doing coke and meth openly and freely. Right. And then slowly, I started doing coke, and because, I, you know, I dabbled once or twice in high school, and it wasn't a horrible experience, I just was, like, scared of it. And then it started giving me relief that I didn't feel I was getting any more from a fucking drink. Because a drink is like bringing the party popper to the fucking uh, 4th of July bash. If you're bringing out a... Nobody's impressed. Yeah. Right. You want the fucking things that are going to yeah. like live right. shots at the moon. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. And so I started dabbling in coke. And at first it was fun. Then it was fun with problems. Then it was just problems. The problem with coke and me is, is that I never know what result I'm going to get. One night it's great. I'm fucking... The life of the party, I'm banging chicks galore, and then the next thing I'm crying, calling people up at the worst times at like four in the morning in New York, and coming down and looking for drugs, and it just it was yeah. my friend, such a my friend's coke psychosis was he always would be she he he was such a cokehead, but something shifted and it turned into whenever he did coke he was sure he was pissing his pants. <laughs> He would, he would be at a party or at a bar, and he, he wouldn't be pissing his pants. But he felt but, like he was? But he always thought he was. So he's like, he's like, you gotta stop doing coke. But he started just fucking doing dope. Mine was Bill. flea sirens. I, every time I would shoot coke, and every time I shot coke, the second I pulled the needle, I just, wait. I could be in the middle of the desert, and I'd hear the police coming, you know? So, yeah, I, that's my thing. So, coke was like, you know, it's coke's what I went to rehab for, because I, I started late, and then so... I'd get calls from Everlast going, what, what the fuck happened last night, dude? I, I'm fucking tired of hearing calls about you getting coked out fucking, it's just like, it was embarrassing him. You know? And he didn't fuck around. No, he didn't fuck around at all. So And you went in willingly we, right on that? We were a group, We and we early on hung out for like a couple years, like every night together, and going to clubs together, and we did everything together. Then when you get a little bit of something, and then you just get it a little bit more, you kind of start to you get off. your own camp. We had different girlfriends. We had our own camps. Yeah. So the Danny Boy camp was doing different things than with the Everlast camp. And if we happened to be at the same club that night, we'd sure hang out. But my camp was this one, and his was that one. And then it started to, there was a greater and greater divide. And eventually, when I started doing coke with regularity, people would talk. Yeah. It's, it's newsworthy. Yeah. Like, oh, I saw Danny Boy at like four in the morning <laughs> with these dudes doing coke. Right. Like, what? And it got back to him, and it was like, so I went to rehab first, really, to get the heat off. I was like, dude. Because it was an anathema in hip-hop to be doing yeah, coke. Yeah, and it's not cool to be doing coke and hip-hop, and two, you know, or, or, or from Jump Around, they're fucking, everything was downhill, even though the trajectory went crazy up, and then it came down. How do you top Jump Around? You can't. I mean, yeah, it's very hard. I understand. You can't do it. So, I mean, in hip-hop, I can't, I mean, there are anthems... I don't think there are many anthems that are that big at all. You know, so you can't. So we, when the, when the downs when it started sliding back down to earth, that's when everybody started looking like, okay, what do I got to do to save myself from this thing? And so my answer was just do fucking more and harder drugs. And I found methamphetamines at, on a on a fluke actually. When I took a, a, a ecstasy, I was also dabbling in. Yeah. And ecstasy would just hit or miss. You know, you get one good hit, and it was the best thing ever. You get a few bad hits and you just felt like it was never coming on and you were getting sick. And you're like, this sucks. I'm not sure if I'm high. I know I'm high, but not in a good way, like in a weird way. Yeah. I'm fucking stuck in a fucking hole for fucking eight hours. I'm miserable. And somebody said, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And finally I said, look, I took X and I can't. They're like, come in the bathroom. And they gave me a line. And I said, 
what is it? She said, speed. And at first I was like, oh, how dare you offer me this fucking roadie coat, <laughs> white trash trucker shit. It's powerful shit. And she said, you're just taking shut up. And I, I, I went to do a rail. And she's like, no, no, honey, this is not that. <laughs> just take a little. I said, you don't know who, you know. <laughs> and I just took a medium-sized one, and I was up for three days. And I thought, whoa. I felt that night the same way I felt when I got that first good drunk. I felt, oh, my God. My you found your thing. My perception shifted, and the way I saw the world changed that night, and also the way I felt the world was looking at me changed that night. And I felt fucking wittier, prettier, and tittier. You know what I'm saying? I fucking, <laughs> I fucking, I was losing weight. Oh yeah, that'll right meth away. do yeah, it. There's a little, there's a temporary phase with yeah. meth. When you start doing it, you look better for yeah, like a month, like, and then three great. months later, yeah. it's like you don't. <laughs> I mean, not so much. I was up making up for lost time. All the doing shit. I couldn't fucking get my mind to even like. Got to write something, or paint something, or draw something for like to further the. We need new T-shirts, or we need new album cover. We need. I was bored by that. I couldn't even get it up to think about doing it. It was like a task of like, oh, take out the trash when you're young. Like, I don't want to. You're super like, Adderall. You're yeah, it's super done. Adderall. So <laughs> I didn't know that. So I, I started doing math. The next thing I know, I'm fucking creating them up all over the Painting masterpieces, yeah, making a hat. See, I would do that, but I'd too. start rubbing my tongue in the back of my teeth so when I would tweet. And then I would have, a, I'd talk like this for the next two days afterwards, so and I'd I sound like I was retarded, yeah. I my, I, you know, by my fucking death. And you get weird, like, injuries that are, like, drug-related injuries that yeah. you can't explain what the fuck's going on. I'm you a, see the people that are just fucking, you know, yeah, pushing in the face. Oh, I, that wasn't me either, thank God. You gotta smoke it to really get, like, that stupid psychosis. I always yeah. smoke meth. Uh, I never got anything done. The, I, 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 like, took, I, I was a horrible heroin addict. And uh, I got clean, and I went to California, and I moved in with a guy who had just found meth. And he asked for dope, and they gave him meth. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I was not going to—I was like, I want to stay clean. I don't want to fuck around. And yeah. I get there, and my old friend, Todd, uh, has found meth. Yeah. And uh, he's away. And I was like, okay, things are cool. And then he comes back, and I start smoking meth. And I realize the only thing meth is going to do for me is make me need heroin. Mm. And, and it did. It didn't give me a second of uh, inspiration or like uh, yeah well you just saw a different way yeah, yeah, a different yeah. channel I you never tried heroin in my life yeah and I never saw the appeal in it I'm sure if I did it I would like it but I was always terrified of needles and any of that shit and so for me meth was great you know it just was like I, it was the answer I, I needed at the time to keep me up to, to have any kind of drive to, to try to write this shit you know yeah, yeah. and I thought at first it was going to work and it didn't you know and, and what I learned in recovery is that you can't think your way in a better actions, you got to act your way into better thinking. So nice. you got to do the, the, the footwork, and then that the, the upstairs should change. But so fast forward, you know, I'm in a fucking the band falls apart. Eric goes on to greater success. Leafa goes on to greater success, and I go into fucking faux homelessness. And I'm fucking doing drugs for four years straight with very little sleep. And I run into a guy that I'm known to be in a program in the program, and. He says, how are you doing? And I said, uh, how does it look like I do, I'm doing it? He said, it doesn't look good. And I, the best I could do at this point, I was living in a little apartment with a girl. And I, we, there was a magazine stand on the corner and a used record store. And that was like the internet before the internet. Like, it was just dial-up era. And I was just like, I was still just window shopped the world through magazines and records. Sure. So I was here like, conduits of the, the what life. was happening? Yeah. And you'd walk down the street and see Limp Biscuit sells 50 billion records. <laughs> and listen and turn on the radio and hear like, what it's like every 20 minutes and fucking major bands. And so, you know, and, and again, I was happy for them. What? Did you hate Limp Biscuit? 
No, not at all. I, 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 again, because I had nothing invested in it, I wasn't a fan and I didn't hate. So my man was making good money and having a good time. Why would I hate that? No, I know, I know that there's a blowback on it now, and I understand that it's, it's corny to most people. It's corny to me. But I don't, uh, most of some of the shit that most people probably think is like that good. Like it's corny. A lot of shit's corny to me. So I'm like, yo, Vanilla Ice was corny to me. I wasn't mad at Vanilla Ice for being a white rapper before we were. Everybody got their own audience and the shit that they're gonna. But that under pressure beat, you can't argue with. No, the hits went ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Okay, let's slow down. You can't argue with that beat. You know, but you can, I mean, that. You can't take anything he says seriously. No, I didn't right? tell that, right? I, I'm saying, the point is, is fucking, I'm happy for everybody succeeding, but when it comes out of your camp, it, I, I knew It's what, gotta what, hurt. Yeah, it's it hurt, gotta hurt. It hurt um, that I didn't live up to, I didn't show up for myself in my life. Those guys did the work. Like, Never last, always right. But they, they were not right, afflicted. They did not no, have they just this had really disease. good math. They had clean math. No, they didn't. First of all, <laughs> Everlast, you know, he does his thing and he works really hard at it. He's gifted one and he's a hard worker and that's what you get when you have good stuff and you've really worked to do it. I'm lazy and I and I was used to fucking just getting good shit because I expected it and it happened to work that way for a few years and I now I hold on to like, I, you know, I'm entitled yeah, and it's just hard to happen. say that you know, it, but it would be dishonest to tell you anything other than that. Not the same way. And so when I my entitlement kicks in and my fear, it's more fear based. It's not entitled that I'm better than everybody and should just be given to me. It's I don't know how to fucking do this, and so if if there's a God, why would He fucking force my, me into an uncomfortable situation where I have to feel like this and I'm not able to cope? So why did not He just let me have this if I just be good? Does that make sense? It's weird, but say it's, it again. I don't even remember how to say it. <laughs> I think, like... I'll tell you, first of all, let me just say, you spit recovery really well, man. Like, you've done this before. I can tell, you know, you've talked about this and processed this for a, a while. Well, I mean, I have to look at my part. And so, you know, I I got sober. So I meet this... I ran into that guy, and he tells me, man, why don't you come meet me in a meeting? And then I go to a meeting, and then he said, what'd you think? And I said, it's cool. You know, I had been a few meetings before. I'd been to rehab before, actually, for the coke, because... That's what I was saying. I was getting phone calls. People were like, dude, you got to fucking chill. Ooh. And so the van was falling apart. So I figured if I go to rehab, this will all go away. Go to rehab, be a good boy, yeah. get the heat off, and then things will go back to normal. And eventually this will turn itself around, and I'll be restored to fucking insanity again. Right. And it didn't turn itself around. Eric left the group and went on to the solo shit. And it just, so I went back to doing what I was doing, feeling sorry for myself, drinking and using. And so when I finally get sober... It's because I run into a guy after four years of downward spiral, and he suggests I come to a meeting with him. And the first meeting went, and I don't remember who spoke or what they said, but I remember hearing laughter, and there was a, a lot of it. And it was the first time people were saying, welcome. It wasn't really welcomed anymore anymore. Anywhere. And people were welcoming. It was weird. It felt a little churchy, culty, whatever. But I remember hearing laughter, and it was enough to get me back the second night in that the second night, I really didn't want to go. I, mean, I was like, why don't you come tomorrow? I was like, slow down there, pal. Like, <laughs> right, the second they say, why don't you come back, yeah, you're like, what yeah. do you want me to go but for? But he had the great answer. He said, well, I said, man, I, you know, one, I just fucking, you know, this guy here. He said, he's drinking use every day. Yeah, I said, yeah. I said, why don't you come to a meeting every day? Mm-hmm. I said, where was it? Is this Hollywood or where was No, it? this is uh, a place called Radford Hall in the San Fernando Valley. Huge recovery. A lot of you can go anywhere else in the world, tell that name, and they'll be like, Ooh. Do they say homes there a lot? 
why don't you come back, Holmes? Yeah. No? They do? They say essay? That's not my part of that. But, uh, I like it when they say that. Yeah, maybe it is. So I started going regularly, man, and my shit started to get, you know, like anything else. When you start to, when you get, when you get a reprieve and you, if you get that little window of opportunity and you take advantage and you get, you know, you start getting sober. I clean up well and fast, you know? It's such and a so good thing, though. It's a great thing. So year one of my sobriety, I had a few commitments, you know. So it went like this. I go to my first meeting. They asked me to come to a second meeting. I go to my second meeting, and then he says, why don't you come the next day? And then I was like, what do I got to lose? It wasn't that bad. And one day turns into two days and three days and four days, and before long, I've got 30 days. I get my chip, do my thing. Three months, they said, hey, man, we need someone to do the treasury commitment. And it's like, I'm a tweaker. I'm not a thief. But you're giving me the money to count? Yeah. And I started doing that, and it gave me a steam. Yeah. And I, I was sharing, which was scary, man. It's one thing to be, like, behind sunglasses and a hat on, you know, rhyming. It's another thing to be, like, telling you, getting up to a podium and, you know, sharing your experience. Of course. Because at that point, I don't have strength and hope. I just got experience, experience. I'll tell you Pain, what it's like. What shame, it's like. experience, yeah. Right. Yeah, ego, ego, ego. Right. So I, I, you know, I get at six months. They say, "Man, why don't you, you you have enough time to speak at a meeting now?" I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa. yeah, we want you to be the leader, twenty minute speaker." I'm like, "Holy!" So I went in there like trying to baptize a cat, but I come out like Tweety Bird. I was like, you know, total fear <laughs> in, and then come out, you know. And they asked me at six months as well. This is already after getting up in front of thousands of people. Yeah, you know what I mean? I know it's two different things, but it's amazing the dichotomy between the two. You know, I'm just sure. confused about. Baptizing a cat, which is the good part? Baptizing the cat or try coming out of Tweety Bird? Hey, try to baptize a cat. Oh, because you don't want to. Because the cat doesn't want to get wet, yeah, and Tweety yeah, Bird yeah. is good. Yeah, it's Tweety Bird. Okay. I'm just, just like a little fucking happy bird. Right. And so, again, you know, all the things I usually don't want to do, it, especially in recovery, trying to do things I needed to do, and that gave me the most benefit. The contrary so, action in the beginning. Contrary yeah. action. So, at six months. Again, I get I start secretary meeting. It was like a really popular meeting, so I was secretary. Go get people to speak, blah blah blah. At one year, become employable. I get a new solo record deal. I had a group called like Supermodel signed with a big management company that managed the Limp Biscuits and the Corns and the Pamela Andersons, and they started a new label. And I got a group called like Supermodels with me and this other kid. And it's like Crystal Method, the band mixed with like what we inspired to be like MOP or Vakin. It was like hardcore hip hop. Uh, over crime, over like, like over like crystal method slash like you know tech, not techno, but like industrial, industrial type. Yeah. It was bitching, it was badass, and people loved it. And so it was like, yo, now I'm starting to get a little money, and I got a publishing, and deal. it's exciting. It feels yeah, good I to be a like part I'm of something. Get back into the fucking, you know, restore. This is about a year, 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 and a couple months in, you know. Yeah. And, and and I get this big check at like a year and a half, and we work on the record. And in year two, the, that label starts to fold apart, and the firm starts to just you know. And so coming around year two and a half, I'm like I'm only going to the meetings that are like. So first year was great. I did my twelve. I did my. I'm, I'm sponsored dudes. I'm giving people rides. I'm <laughs> fellowshipping. Year two was kind of really good too. Now I've got extracurricular shit like new cars, new watch, new girl, new. And at year three. All that stuff started being removed again. Like the deal fell through. Although I got paid, I spent all that money. Mm. My ego's on the line now because I'm like, I got a new record <laughs> coming out. No, it's actually not coming out. It was shelved because the label fell apart, and I was also like, this is getting boring. Keep it up. Yeah, where's mine? And I didn't get sober to, to feel like this. Yeah. And 
So at three years and some change, I thought to myself, well, Danny, you know, I only did, talking to myself, I'm like, you know, hey, man, I only did math for like four years, and I've been sober like three and change. I get myself an early release from jail here, <laughs> and I just have a drink. And I met a new girl. Yeah. She happened to be my man at the time, ex-girl, <laughs> which made it even more yes. exciting, yes. you know? Yes. And she's like, you're the one. I always knew it. And oh my god and I'm not going to use meth anymore but I still want to drink and I'm like I'm not ever going to use meth but I'll meet you halfway and drink oh there we go but it really when I looked back it was all fear it was fear that I was like again my ego was like I, I made a record I'm doing this my man. I'm gonna, and it didn't my plan didn't manifest and so I felt like fear but I left the program I, I left recovery and I thought with all I've learned in three and a half years I will never go back to drugs I can clearly see how that destroyed my life and with one week of drinking I was right back on that Wow. Right back on that. And what I found that the relief I was looking for was not to be found at the bottom of a bottle of Corona. It just wasn't. You understand? And so I was back on meth. And I thought to myself, well, if I, if, if this thing goes bad, I can always go back to it. And it, it went bad immediately. And I tried to come back. Ooh, and I shouldn't have said that. That's a. I'll believe it. You also have to believe all the countless references. Yeah. Oh, you go by you under that. Huh? That's on you. That's not your real name. Well, that's my real name. But we don't. We don't use. We never use the last name on the show. It's anonymous to a degree. You can do it. What do you mean? I can do it. This is your. That's your value to the show. I'm the editor, man. I'm just telling you this. So the the point is is that after. (laughs) So after. After leaving. The program. I thought if things go bad, I can always go back. And I spent three and a half years trying to get back because once you, once I threw away my program, it was hard to get back. And I didn't think I was ever going to get it back. I was in a meeting a few months ago, and this guy was talking about how people get up and they always say, you know, oh, my name's Chris, I'm back, you know, and they say the time. And there's this old timer, you know, the old timers have good stuff to say. Sure. And he was like, you know, I don't like that lingo saying I'm back because it kind of implies that this is a revolving door. Yeah. And he's like, people move through this room like diarrhea and they're just dying all the time. So if some of the newcomers coming in and they're hearing I'm back, I'm back, I'm back, that's the message that they're going to get. But I think that. when the person says I'm back, it's because it, it almost feels like that they're better because they've had time. I think that's when someone says, yeah. I've got five days back. It's like, I'm not really a newcomer. I'm back. Which is what I would always do, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, ego right but, but it, both ways, it works exactly the same way. You know, uh, for the person who says they're back, they're saying it because it's like, I know, I know about this, I'm back. And then for the newcomer, they're like, look at this loser, he's yeah. back. Yeah. It, it's like, it's negative for both for both versions. You know what I mean? I, I think... Again, I mean, the greatest about... Recovery, the one we're talking about, is that, you know, we, well, we don't shoot our wounded. So for me to come back, was that was easy to say. I didn't mind saying that. But I felt that the, the, the vibe had changed for me, that I had given up a good thing. And I couldn't get back. I yeah. thought I was never going to make it back. By the time I made it back, I come in the room with no teeth, living on a couch in a warehouse. Uh, but your teeth are so nice. Well, you know, I got to re- restore to, you know. <laughs> to dental sanity? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, man, I want, you know, I'll tell you, I'll give you a little tip. You ignore your teeth long enough, they will go away, all right? Trust me. I got to go to the dentist. I haven't been in years and years and years. Oh, that's part of getting, you know, recovered. So after the three and a half year downward spiral, I finally made it back, and I've been sober ever since. So I I celebrate on April 15th because when I came in, actually, it was was February, and somebody gave me some prescription medicine to sleep because my mind was so crazy when I first got sober 
and I took it and didn't get a doctor to give it to me, and I felt a little weird about that, even yeah. though I wasn't using it to get high. I thought my spouse said, "Well, what do you, you know, what, you know, whatever you between you and your higher power?" And I thought, "Let me push it." So I celebrate my thing as April fifteenth. So April fifteenth of two thousand and five is when I, I I got sober, and I've been sober ever since. My second thing, not, and I'll just say like this, you know, I just again, it's my life is far from perfect, but I have a a great life, and for a dead guy, I'm doing good. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I walked in the doors, I was dead. I was spiritually dead, emotionally bankrupt. Monetarily bankrupt, uh, fucking, and I, I really had. It was the last house in the block again, and I thought, yeah, well, you know, I, if this thing will take, I'll, I'll, I'll be shocked because I just didn't think I was ever going to get back to sobriety. As much as I wanted to come back, if I get five days and I get a phone bill and I couldn't pay it, I'd go out behind that. You know, if she'd call, I'd go out. If Yankees lose, I go out. Yankees sure. win, I go out. It's raining. I go out. It's Sunday. I go out. Yeah, because yeah. what's five days? What's eight days? What's a week and a half? Right. What's three three months? What's that? Yeah. It's everything and it's nothing. So it's so I can throw it away because I can get it again possibly. But when you finally collect some drops, you, you, you realize, bucket, no, of it course. It feels so good. So finally, I, this thing took. I don't know why it was different because I tried to come back to the program 20 different times. And I just couldn't hear the matter. I just couldn't get the get on. I couldn't get it. Um, and I and I, I don't. I look at it different now. So when I first got sober the first time, I wanted my old life back. Right. And I thought by being a good little boy that God was going to restore me to those kind of cars, those kind of houses, those kind of record sales, and those kind of. And well, nobody's selling anything. Like no, that. but I'm saying if it, it when those. So I put expectations on my first survival. If I don't have this kind of car, this kind of house, and I didn't say that out loud, I didn't really think it, it just but it was in it. there. Yeah, I felt like I'm doing this for I'm getting clean so I can get filthy, filthy rich, because that's what I was after in life, that kind of outside success, because that would validate me. And the claim. that's what he's doing with Dopey, the last Jewish waiter, Oeve. Hey, relax. <laughs> no, no, no. But if you think about it, because I long time ago before I was fucked, I had a I had a TV show and I was doing a little something and I destroyed everything and I always wanted I wanted to, to feel that feeling again sure. and then I started working in this restaurant and like I, you see me in there I, I earn my fucking money I work like a dog uh, but I'm in it eight years and it's like it's taught me humility it's taught me how to show up it's taught me how to work sure. and, and like these little projects I obviously don't expect much to happen from them but it gives me joy it yeah, makes me happy and it's yeah. funny yeah. and here we are I mean it's yeah, cool that you're here and doing it I think that's awesome that so, is awesome that's, you're such a dick Chris so, hey, how do you live with yourself <laughs> hey, so, no, it's so when I came back in this time I, I, I didn't want what I had or what I thought I was I wanted a new experience I just want whatever it was going to bring I would have to be okay with it someone told me hey bro if all you get out of sobriety is sobriety then you need to be good with that Right, because the thing here is to get get free. You get you back. Get free, and and, and it doesn't come with car keys. It doesn't come with house keys. It doesn't come with the chick. And so, fast forward eleven and change. You know, I'm happily married to the woman of my dreams. It, it, if everything went as good as my, he my owns marriage, the Outsiders house in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I do. Yeah. Oh, really? You know the movies, The Outsiders? Yeah, yeah. I bought the house and we were, I raised some money and we're restoring it and we turned it into a museum. Oh no, yeah, shit, dude! That's awesome, man. But uh, you know, they, and that yeah, for you, for you know, forget even you know. But those are those are the fruits of just doing one day at a time. Now, in between these eleven years, man, I've had up, down, and in between. I've lost good friends. I've been stabbed in the back. 
I've been fucking done dirty. I've been arrested. I've been, you know, and I've had some of the best things happen. I've had some of the uglier sides of life things just blow up in my face, you know, where you're like, oh, how did that happen, you know? And it's constantly an ebb and flow of this, this internet thing. You were, we were walking here. You're like, somebody, this guy had beef with you. I don't even know who it is. It's like, the thing is, what happens is the internet provokes all these weird, like, people think they have connections to you that they don't. It and makes everybody feel release, good. Release, release, like us. Yeah, <laughs> relationships that, that don't exist. And when you ignore them or whatever, they get hostile and they go at you. And it's like, you don't even, I don't even know who some of these fucking people, if they run in their mouth on the internet. And then the ones I do know, it's like, I try to help them out. And if you, 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 no good deed goes unpunished. It's like, you, you, how much can I do before I'm just like, go fuck yourself? And I usually right. don't tell them, go fuck yourself. I just ignore them, and that makes them even worse. And it's like, <laughs> it's hard for an alcoholic because I wear my shit on my sleeve, and I'm an aggressive dude. And it's like, if you put it out there, I'm going to, you know, and I have to, like, I have to pause when agitated. All these things I learned by, like, doing program, doing steps, it's tough, man, because if I, if I don't live it, and, and if I'm not in the work, I'm I'm a dry drunk. I'm a dry addict. Mm-hmm. I could go. I could end up in prison and in in and on the couch again, in sobriety, with my best intentions. If I'm not working a, a program, and I got to really stay connected yeah. because I forget, you know. And totally. it's just little things too. I like. I reached out this morning to this guy who I was friends with that went out, and uh, he's in trouble. Uh, but being there for him in a profound way, it was like. You know, I, I, I care, you. but I genuinely care for this guy, yeah. and, and I really do, and I want him to be doing well, and uh, and I believe in his his ability to be successful. But he hates himself, and just to be there for him, I I, I really wanted to be there for him. But when I hung up the phone, I felt that felt inc- better. I, I felt great. Dude, the only thing that helps get rid of my character defects is helping other people. You know what I mean? Well, and that's then the whole I, the program. Yeah, the triangle is. Service, trust, unity, yeah, and recovery. But trust God, clean house, work with others. It's yeah. funny because Chris helps a lot of people, but he only causes me harm. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I, I do so much for him, and then it's if like you ever actually go back and listen to the podcast, the other shit we've done. It's just literally an hour and a half of him smashing me. That's all. It it's is. entertaining, you know. What do you want? You know what do you I'm want? I'm easily smashable. That's how you roll. And that's, I mean, that's what makes good. You know, you have that hook. Yin yang, anyway, for it to work. We need a little bit of play, you know. Yeah. I don't, you know, Danny is one of my uh, regulars where I work, and I didn't expect him to actually come through. But what a what a great treat! Yeah, I mean, it was funny. You made him a little nervous. I saw him when I, I was excited. Yeah, I was like, I'd never seen him. He was buzzing about. I was like, Dave, you little pet I mean, to so your stuff. I'll tell you what. The thing is, is that you know, in so the plus side of the internet is that. And so the downside of the internet is that every asshole or every fucking weirdo has your phone number or your a direct link to you. Right. So I get people offering me to come to their weddings. I don't ever met them. Right, or, right. Can I get your address or, or they buy something from me? I sell like swag for my Delta Bravo and stuff. And then my mailing address is on the thing. And then I get letters and weird. And it gets weird. Yeah. But the plus side of it is that you can support entertainment, uh, in, independent Endeavor such as podcasts, music, this. Yeah. So when it's good, it's good. And so I, well, I guess what I'm getting at is is that like the fact that we can sit in your living room and record a show that goes to whoever you you know your fan base is. It's it's cool. And so I wanted to support that. And I like you. You've always been nice when we come in. And you know he's got to edit it out, but we 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 we, we always give uh, 
DS of, you know, I go, yo, and that's his, like, little, when he calls you, oh, that's all he says anybody calls you, yo, my wife even knows. What a man. So, it's funny, and then I seen you on Facebook, I added you on Facebook, and, you know, it's like, I like your vibe and the whole thing, but the truth is, like, you know, this is how this works. If I say no to this, then... I get no as well, and I and I don't. It doesn't take anything away from you in the sense that like I would have did this for you regardless. And and I have you know it's what I don't mind talking about myself on my favorite subject some days, you know. <laughs> but the point is, is like I ask of people the same. So I put it out in the a, universe, so yeah. It comes well, back I used circle. to do a podcast, and you know, I'd ask. Yeah, I, some of my best friends or good friends now, or for instance, Robert Romanos from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I'm a huge fan of the movie and everything yeah. about that thing. And, to get him on my podcast at first, he didn't want to do it. He was busy working. Which guy was he on Mike Damone. The guy. Dope. That's my boy. No way. That's my boy. But what a at character. first he was like, nah, I can't do it. I'm busy. Nah, I didn't give up. But I was like subtle, but like kept on him, you know, and then it finally relented. And then took a long time to warm up. But now we're like, I would say good friends, you know, and it's like, I, you know, because people asked, you know, I asked, and people said yes, and it it, 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 it developed into you know my last birthday we had at the the restaurant where he filmed the scene where he comes and goes hey he lost your wallet want it back right there yeah, we yeah, had yeah. my birthday in that same room of that same restaurant it looks the same when they filmed it in right too and he was the guest of honor if you will sitting next to me as you know the the, the Deborah Foreman from Valley Girl, the star of Valley Girl. Yeah, and yeah. All these people I've met through either my podcast or what I do for a thing, and they're all like new friends that I've kind of accumulated because I asked, hey, I love what you do. I'm a fan. I'm also in this. It doesn't hurt, you know? Like, I'm the guy from House of Pain, one of them. And then it opens a little bit. It probably gives me a little bit more thing. But the point is, when they when I show interest in what they're doing, they reciprocate it, and then it makes the world go round. And I didn't do it to get another one down the line for myself. But I know that if I don't, you know, if I don't give, it, it to be you got to if you want friends, you got to be a friend. So I'm trying to be a friend. Well, I appreciate you know it. I think it's so fucking awesome. Me, I'm super grateful. To talk about recovery again. You know, I know there's a, a fine line that we have to, you know, we, anonymity at the level of press, radio, or television, but. We are open to, I, I don't know, nobody tells me what I can talk about in my personal life. Dave. <laughs> Let him snore. No, that's good. It'd be sound effects. Yeah. The big D has to snore in the background, but that's okay. There's nothing so, wrong with that. But, you know, I'm an open book and I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, I get a little upset when, you know, you see a celebrity die and they go, oh, you know, Brittany Murphy, dead at age 33 of natural causes. Yeah, what's the point? Why That's natural? Yeah. Like, okay. Why? How can they even say yeah, that, how though? Can they, so, and I don't want to defame her, but what I want is a cautionary tale. I don't have kids, but if I did and they were fans, I'd say, this is what happens or this is what could happen if you if you go down that road. But how could they even – I understand what you're saying. I don't know. But how could they sell that story I as a natural know. death? I don't know. They do that all the time. They, they say the respiratory time. failure. Yeah, they say it, blunt force. Or, yeah, hard, yeah. or the hard thing. Yeah, you, you do enough coke. The heart does stop. Yeah. It's known to do that. Like if that's natural – that's, the, the, that's still hey, a stigma and there's Coca's a lot. Coca's natural yeah. from a natural plant. I guess that's natural. <laughs> right, 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 you know, right. how, they, how they do it, I don't know. Yeah. But I I don't, I'm bothered by it. And so for me to just be like, oh, if you didn't know who I was or you knew who I was and thought one or, or the other thing, I, I, th- there'll be no question mark by the time they're done hearing this because I'm not going to sit and lie. I'd rather not do an interview. Or talk about it and skirt the issue, bro. I had a major problem my whole life with getting comfortable in my own fucking skin and being right sized. 
I'm either too big for my britches or I'm not enough. And I'm coming from a place of fear 100% yeah. of the time until I started getting the recovery through the work. So my two greatest fears are I'm not going to get what I want in life or I'm going to lose what precious little things I have accumulated already. And that's a terrible place to be living. And I live there still with 11 plus years of sobriety all the time if I'm not willing to stop, take a look, get some gratitude immediately mm-hmm. and realize that every day is a gift and that, you know what, it's my attitude that sets that thing off. I have to do contrary actions, you know what I mean? But would you would you trade the debaucherous years? No, because, I, and listen, I could, I, if, if I could do things different, I would, you know? I look yeah. back, I wasn't emotionally and mentally and, and what, what's the word? It's like, I was so immature in my 20s. It probably looked like what a 10-year-old looks like. Right. I was just like, I didn't even, I couldn't imagine why people, when Corn first played a little club I was throwing, my manager goes, yo, you, what are you doing with them? I'm like, nothing. Great. He signs them and makes, you know what I mean? Right. My head wasn't in there. My head was just like, look at me. I couldn't even be bothered. I couldn't yeah. even comprehend right. making more money on other things or, because yeah. I was too busy being a peacock. Yeah. It was all about me. My head was so far up my ass. Right. So when I came out of all that stuff and then I had to go through all the fucking the bad part of the drug use and the bad part of fucking losing your teeth and living on a couch and being unwelcomed everywhere you went, it kind of put me in a better, uh, appreciate the little things better. And I appreciate the little things in life now way more than I appreciate a good new watch or a new car. I, who doesn't like a new car or, <coughs> or this, that, and the third, but that don't fix me. What fixes me and what makes me feel good is good friendships, good food, food, uh, I collect experiences now more than I collect sure. objects. And I can see it all the, over you. That's why we do the urban exploring thing because we're like that's how they wouldn't let me to the outsiders' house. You know, my favorite. Explain movie. that. Explain the Delta the Delta Bravo. So thing. I was on tour with La Coca Nostra, which is another group we do. It's like a super group of hip hop. We were playing Kane's Ballroom, which is like the CBGBs of the Midwest in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We had a three-day layover, so I'd be in town for three days. And I was highly sober, highly caffeinated, and I just had a new camera, bought a new camera. And I was like, what am I going to do with three days in Tulsa? I'm a, you know, crazy. I'm a East Coast or West Coast kind of, you know, like, this is Tulsa. And then it occurred to me, my favorite movie, The Outsiders, was filmed here. And so I hired a cab, he took me around, and we found the house, we found the park, we found the drive-in, we found a few oh, major the spots scenes. from, from the movie. And it looked like it did when it was filmed in 82, because Tulsa doesn't happen like New York and L.A. happens. Where it doesn't like, change. You don't believe, like, where he works, you look in that neighborhood, I don't even recognize from 10 years ago, yeah. you couldn't even no, figure yeah. out where you're at, yeah. except for where he works as the, you know, the only thing that stands out that's still original. Um... When I got to Tulsa, everything looked like it did in the movie. So imagine going back. It's almost like the closest you can get to getting high and having a time machine. Because I walked around and looked out at the house where the Curtis brothers lived and the drive-in where they snuck in and still there, that little part. You could walk in the drive-in in the daytime. It wasn't locked up because they don't do it like metropolitan cities where everything is like post-9-11, secured. It was just like... Free. Yeah. Totally. And I'm walking around and I'm fucking like getting the butterflies. Like, what the fuck, dude? Like, this is still here. So I started thinking, well... I'm going to be on these tours, and I'm the only one sober, and I like coffee, so I'm going to go <laughs> get caffeinated and walk around every city I go to and find before and after stuff, whether it be true crime, album cover locations, or take a movie that I know and take screen grabs. That's and a great look. idea, And then man. we superimpose, cool, we superimpose the old scene on the, the new scene, scene. Yeah. and then I give up the addresses, because originally when I started looking up a lot of these things... They were people who would do like, uh, they were like movie location specialists. 
and they would post the photos to these like uh, websites, but they wouldn't give up the address because they wanted you to come to them to find them. Right, because they hired them, yeah, and they could show so you where you're from. Out there. And I thought, yeah, and yeah. I got that from 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 the program. I figured, you know what? It's it's for free and for fun. Like, yeah. I want you to to realize that if you have even if if one of us has a phone, we have everything because. <clears throat> We have in our hand. We have a GPS, a video camera, a camera, an encyclopedia. Uh, Wait, so these people post the stuff themselves too? Does anybody go track it. something so, down and put it up? Yeah. So we all have. We all have. We have a page, and we all do it. And I started meeting all we'll kinds throw of people. It out there. I mean, if you want, throw it out on the podcast. Yeah, it's just people. the Delta Bravo Urban Exploration Team. If you Google that or be on Facebook, you'll see it. And uh, you know, I started meeting all kinds of diverse people, man. I, you know. I'm a, again a, a street dude who's like a hip hop dude, and then I started meeting cops. I was like, "Whoa, this guy! Are you on the job?" And then I meet another cop, and then I meet a guy who's uh, you know an artist, and then we meet a few other things. And before long, we got this really like hodgepodge crew of people who have all different skill sets. It's like doing grown man Goonies, or it's like doing. You uh, heard about 18, the Goonies you know? spot though, didn't you? Yeah, I went up there, but they, they they said you can't go. They Ooh, like the owner of the yeah, house. the owner's like, "Don't come. We don't want you yeah, here." They're, they're, they're mixed in Arcadia, right? No, it's not Arcadia. It's uh, it's up. Uh, it's in Oregon. Yeah, it's, I think uh, it's Arcadia, Oregon. Now, I just heard a story about it. So, it, and it, so the whole thing kind of started off when I found the Outsiders house. So now, flash forward. <clears throat> I don't know since 2006, whatever. Ten years. Ten years. Uh, I'm I, good at uh, man. You own yeah, the house. So <laughs> I own the house. But the thing was is I would go back every chance I got. Every time we'd go on tour, we'd cross the U.S. And we'd go through Tulsa. And even if I wasn't, I would try to get a, a stop in there. And every year I'd go back, the house looked in worse and worse condition. And they started tearing the houses down in that area. I thought, somebody's going to tear this thing down one day, and it's not going to be good. And so we started inquiring about it, and I didn't think the lady was ever going to sell. And I, she, I just wanted to say, hey, we're interested in buying it if you ever want to sell it. And take my number, and she, was, she told my man, I had my man call, I was scared to call, you know, and she's like, yeah, I'm ready to sell now. And <clears throat> the price was right, and so we, I bought the house, and then I put a, a GoFundMe campaign, which we're actively still raising money for, and we're doing a benefit on August 6th in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with C. Thomas Howell and Darren Dalton. It'll be great for Tulsa, though. It is great for Tulsa, but it's also, you know, Essie Hinton, the author, she gave me a nice-sized check. She gave me Matt Dillon's leather jacket from the movie. She gave me the painting from her second book. It's So people have come out of the woodwork with support, mow the lawn, restore your floors, Put a new roof what on. if you wind up the mayor of Tulsa? Ah, I'm just looking for you know, I, I, I'm just one small guy in a, in a bigger thing, and it's my honor to do this. So it turned into this hobby. Again, you know, it, it's been it's, it's been a joy for me to just go around city to city and just look for these things and honor these locations because it was a relief from being myself. I didn't have to promote Danny Boy or House of Pain or right. Nostra Nostras full time. I could just promote. The stuff that inspired those yeah. me to do House of Pain, Look Okanostra, or anything. So That's really as a cool Beastie hobby, Boy fan, as a Beastie Boy you know? fan, we would go around and look. We'd take the video, and we'd chop it into pieces, and we'd find like where it was shot, and we'd rematch it, or famous posters, or LL Cool J's record where he's leaning on the Jaguar on the school fence. Where's that school? It's St. Albans Greens. Where's St. Albans Greens? It's a fun. Let's get thing a ride too. out there. Yeah. Here's the school. Where side of the school did he take that from? Yeah. That's Matt. Oh, there's the match. Let's then take a photo and then. Mash it together and give it up. You, you guys were doing the TV show about it too, right? I was supposed to do a TV show. I was, I'm still dealing back and forth with them. Unfortunately, with who? 
I won't want to sell you on the thing. I got a bunch of, I have still like a few different offers on the table. The problem is once you shop something like that and it gets passed on, if they don't get the concept, you don't ever get a next, a next chance to do that. And unfortunately, I, everybody who wants to do this with me tells me, I love everything you do. We just have to change everything about it for TV. <laughs> right. And they want to do James Dean and Marilyn Monroe locations and have like weird little scavenger hunt and all this. I said, that's your show. Yeah. Right. We do this for the love of it. This is a show based more for Vice TV where I don't have to ex- – people get it or you don't. Right. <clears throat> they want me to find something at the location and take it. I go, we're not American pickers, dude. We find nothing but the spot, and we honor, and we post it. And that's the but point. is there money involved? Do you get it? And I'm like, no, nah, we don't get any money. The money is spiritual. Yeah. It's, it's, it goes in the treasure chest. Yeah. Again, I know what it's like to have the IRS come take your shit. I know what it's like to have the tow truck company take your cars out of your thing and repossess. I know what it's like to have the bank take your house. And they don't take it because they want it. They take it because you didn't take care of it or whatever. Yeah. And in life, you can't take the treasure chest of experience from them. No. So no matter if I'm rich, poor, everything in between, it's the experience at the end of the day that mean the most to me. And those are the things that you can't squander. You can't smoke them. Yeah. You can't lose them. You can't, they can't be stolen. So it's, I collect those more than I try to collect the outside It's stuff. beautiful. I mean, that hobby, I was just saying the hobby, the way that you came about and stumbled upon that is amazing. And then it's even like kind of infused with a little bit of sort of like recovery philosophy in a way. A hundred percent recovery philosophy because... And I, then ironically, it really kept you, you know, you said you were sober and caffeinated, so it even originated sort of in a way from the yeah, sobriety, no, you know? It was, you know, that's what it was. I mean, I was just bored. Yeah. And again, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fan of... of pop culture so all the things that originally inspired me once I started doing my thing I thought I was too cool for school and I forgot about those things so it was a, it enabled me to be this like pie-eyed 14 year old kid who was just discovering these movies again for the first time Fast Times at Ridgemont High where's the pool yeah. the lady won't let us see the pool I got a drone we flew the drone over her house we crashed her pool <laughs> we got the shot we rematched it up it was you know I didn't even think about drones I don't uh, know the whole <laughs> yeah when we're done with this podcast I'll show you the video yeah. it's amazing and uh, you know and it brought a bunch of uh, you know cool people from all over the planet we have a crew we have loca- chapters in every uh, major city and and in you know, it's been all gravy with the ex- exception of a few people don't mix and match good. And we've had to, like, boot a few people out and deal with a few, like, you know, dickheads. Yeah. But that comes with yeah. any time you put a group of people together. Some people won't match or they'll be divisive and you get them. No, it's really cool. It's so, it's, like, really pure. It reminds me of, it's nothing like it, but sort of, like, geocaching or something like that. It's just it's, Okay, so imagine you know geocaching I mean? with yeah. top culture locations. That's, like, what it is. So, yeah. <laughs> so we've done everything from, like, Sun Son of Sam locations, like where did he get arrested? Where did the car that led to his arrest was parked in front of a hydrant? Where's that hydrant? Yeah, I got the ticket online. I can't read tickets. Oh my god, he's a cop. Let me show my friend who's driving the car. <laughs> awesome no, he concept. looks at that. We find the hydrant. We find the news clipping. I match the news clipping to the actual hydrant that's still the same hydrant they ever replaced it. Yeah. Same wall. And you're like, oh my god, that's where they found him. I live in that neighborhood. I didn't even know that. I was seven when that and happened. And then you talk to the people and then around. You talk to the people and they remember it. And it, it, you meet people. It's been the greatest yeah. hobby ever. And I feel like we reinvented it because there was urban exploring and it existed. Urbexing is like what they do in Canada. Yeah. They do it in Milwaukee and in Detroit where the infrastructure of the old school city has fell apart and they got these old buildings they can explore. But we don't have that in Los Angeles and New York because property values are so high. It's just always Nothing redone. is abandoned. Yeah. Right, right, right. So it's always Nothing's redone. Yeah. So I took what we did have and we were rich in pop culture and I started looking for those things. 
in, from a bygone era, the golden era of hip hop. Yeah, but there's something movies. also cool about seeing the same spot superimposed on a spot that doesn't look anything like it, just for the the story of gentrification and shit. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like uh, I think uh, that's dope. Fucking our next guest is about to walk in the door. Is right here. She's she's trying to figure out where we are. So what I mean, you? I'm just showing him the oh, I got you. stuff. So it goes from like Lords of Flatbush, you know, to the to the, so this is like um, David Lee Roth. This pretty is, in pink. These are coins we make. No, that's not pretty in pink. That's David Lee Roth. That's him in front of his house with this, you know. All right, take it easy, man. Beastie Boys, <laughs> Beastie Boys uh, joints. Getting into the building, getting that's where. The, Dude, that's yeah. awesome. What was the ones on the right? What? what what's so man? You got to go on the page, bro. Yeah. Do it on your own. All right, all right. So check out the Delta <laughs> Bravo, and, yeah. I, and I want to get a hat. I, you know, I gave you an Oyvee shirt. Too. Yeah, Thank you for coming on, man. You really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's my it, pleasure, man. So yeah. there, that's a great one. So that that's the Beastie Boys poster shot by Glenn Friedman. That's us in the same location, shot by Glenn Friedman at MCA Day, like the day after or day before. Oh, awesome. Before and after, shot by the same original photographer. That's uh, Me, Dante Ross, and John Z. I want to say one thing before this is over. How funny is it that you agreed to be on a show without knowing what the show is about? The show turns out to be about the addiction and recovery in the 11 years. I know, right? Is that some higher power shit or what? That's it, right? All right, give a shout out. Say say goodbye, man. Okay, yo. Yeah, say it. Go ahead. Edit <laughs> your name out. What do you mean? I need to say what you're saying. No, I'm gonna say. What do you want me to say? No, say, it, it, say it. Say it. Say how you say it. What do I say? Ah, he wants to edit it out. Yo, <laughs> Danny. Uh, All right. Yeah. Goodbye, Dopey Nation. Stay strong. Toodles. I wanna take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good? Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desires all I ever had